Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming to the ACES Pipeline Primer for Post and Visual Effects, brought to you by the Post New York Alliance, the Visual Effects Society of New York, in cooperation with the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. It's great to see so many of you here, so many uh, VES and Post Alliance members, and also non-members. So for those of you who are not members, I'd just like to tell you a little bit about the Post New York Alliance. Uh, we formed in 2009 in an effort to unify the New York post-production industry and to develop and promote public policy for the benefit of the entire industry, which we have done. Um, back when we were 14 post facilities and local 700 lobbying up in Albany for the post-only tax incentive, uh, which passed in 2010 as the only post incentive in the country at that time. Now today, that incentive is a 30% credit on qualified New York spend, and it's attracted hundreds of projects to New York and is in large part responsible for many of our expansions in the last few years. Um, so the Post Alliance's objectives are to incentivize projects to finish in New York, to promote and expand the services provided by New York, and to create avenues for talent to enter post-production professions. So today, six years later, we are 53 companies, two labor unions, and 361 individual members. So tonight's seminar really exemplifies the goals of the Post Alliance. We're here gathering as a community to learn about a technological breakthrough. Uh, we're all getting educated and staying relevant together. The Post, uh, the, the Post Alliance podcast seminar series on editorial turnover has been downloaded over 1,700 times to date. Some of you are in those podcasts, so we have some stars among us tonight. Um, so it's very exciting to have this uh, this evening. This is our biggest one to date. Um, and I'll just tell you a few that we have coming up this year that hopefully you can all join us. Um, we have one later in July about sound editorial, demystified, covering all the aspects of putting together sound for features and television. In September with the PGA, the Producers Guild of America, we're uh, having one about modernizing post-production budgets, which I'm particularly excited about. We have one in October also with the PGA, just a post 101 covering all aspects of post-production. And in November, again with the Visual Effects Society and uh, Women in Film, we have a uh, seminar on women in VisFX. So just some of what the Post Alliance is doing. Hopefully, if you're not a member, you consider becoming one um, so that you can get into these things for free. Also, um, later tonight, we're having drinks together. Hopefully, everyone can pick up one of these flyers. The wristband gets you a free, free drink that the Post Alliance is buying. Um, so our seminar series and tonight's presentation wouldn't have happened without Ben Baker, who has taken the PNYA mission to the streets. Thank you very much to you. Uh, so on behalf of the Post New York Alliance Board of Directors and general membership, I'd like to thank the Visual Effects Society and the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences for making tonight possible. 
And now it's my pleasure to introduce the visionary behind our seminar series, who does it all for the love of film and television making, Ben Baker. Thank you, Yana. That was uh, Yana Collins-Lehman, our Executive Director of the Post Alliance. Um, yes, uh, as you heard, this is the ACES Primer, the Academy Color Encoding System, and uh, we'll, we'll have a, uh, the, the, the night will go that we'll have a presentation first um, from Alex Forsyth, who's from the Academy, he's the technical lead on the ACES project and has been from the very beginning. And then we're going to bring out um, a, a panel after that, and we'll arrange some chairs up here, and we'll be discussing a couple of different projects and a couple of different facets of ACES that have been implemented already in New York. First, some housekeeping. At PostNY is our Twitter feed, so feel free to live tweet this right now. You can jump on, take photos of me, Alex, the slides, the presentation, the drinks afterwards. Um, tweet about it, we'd love to get it out. Also, at Academy Aces is the Academy Aces Twitter feed as well that you can also add and then they'll become your friends as well. Um, this system is very interesting. Um, I first came into contact with Academy Aces when it was uh, probably two or three years old and that was probably six or seven years ago. It's um, been an idea that's been growing and gaining momentum and uh, I, when um, Rochelle and Steve from the Academy, who are here, when they approached us to partner on this event, we leapt at it straight away. I wanted to see the Post Alliance particularly take a leadership role in bringing this to New York, and uh, I think it's a very interesting thing. Four companies um, across the city could be collaborating much more easily together across this system, but um, without editorializing too much, I'd like to introduce Alex Forthak now, who is going to be our keynote speaker. Uh, Alex, if you'd like to come up. Thank you very much. So um, how many people have used ACES or have tried to use ACES? Anybody have heard of ACES? I guess you've heard of ACES, right, if you're here. Um, making motion pictures is really hard, right? I mean, we have to deal with talent. You've got to deal with um, uh, budgets. You've got to deal with craft services. I mean, it's just it's a nightmare, right? I mean, it's hard stuff. Um, that's before you layer on all the color science and all of the stuff you've got to deal with in post and visual effects and LUTs and file formats and all the other stuff that, that has just become so difficult in the past probably 10 years. Um, we came from an era where basically everything was standardized de facto through film. Um, we, we knew how to deal with film, we knew how to shoot film, we knew how to process film, we took film, and we could do DI on it, and it was relatively simple. Um, and we made prints, and we shipped those prints off to the theaters, and we took the negatives and we put them in the vault, and it was just, it was relatively easy. But then once we interjected digital into the, um, into the equation, it got much more complicated. How do we integrate digital footage? How do we do visual effects and put it into um, the correct color space for that digital footage. How do we integrate the film with the digital? Now we've got three or four different cameras. That's complicated. So probably about 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, maybe about 11, um, the Academy really saw this problem coming down the pike. And it really was 
a problem that didn't need to exist. Um, there were so many different new technologies that were being built specific to a given vendor, and they weren't following any standards because no standards existed. They, they just, they weren't there. So what the Academy did was we brought together the top color scientists we could find in the industry at, from post houses, from VFX facilities, from um, all the major studios, uh, as well as um, people from academia who really knew more of the kind of fundamental theoretical color science. And we started to really probe the industry for what people were doing with their particular workflows. Um, we, we, just, we just collected information. At which point we then started to try to find a common thread through all of that and figure out what were people doing that was the same, but they were just calling it something different than everybody else. And effectively what we came up with was ACES. So ACES really is about maintaining image quality throughout the motion picture pipeline. Uh, in traditional um, motion picture workflows, uh, represented by this green line here, we sort of have this you know, high degree of fidelity, uh, whether it's wide color gamut, high precision information in the capture stage. And then what happens is, as we go through the production and post-production and distribution cycles, we kind of drop down in quality. Right? And ultimately what happens here is, and in distribution is we send something to a display that's, that's specific to that display and is limited on purpose in terms of its capability. We're not gonna send high dynamic range data to a broadcast monitor because that just doesn't make sense. You have to send data that's appropriate. Um, on the other side of the equation, you might have something like video, where video, what we're doing is we're basically limiting it to a display's capabilities right off the bat, right out of the camera. And then in post-production and distribution, we try not to step on it anymore so that you know, we don't ruin the limited data that we have. Um, ACES kind of turns it around the other way, where what we're gonna do is we're gonna maintain as much quality as long as possible through production and post-production so that ultimately when we get to distribution, we can, we can make that decision about how we're going to reduce the, the dynamic range, the color gamut, and the precision in a way that is specific to the particular di distribution deliverable that we're pushing out the door at that moment. And ultimately what we're gonna do is keep around that, that high quality data so that five years down the line, 10 years down the line, when we wanna revisit that material and re-release it on some display that doesn't exist today, we can do that and get as much out of that footage as we possibly can because it's there in the archive. So what kind of advantages do this, does this system offer? Um, like I said, there's a lot of advantages in terms of image quality, but it really is also about clear, consistent communication of color information throughout the motion picture pipeline. I talked right at the beginning about the confusion that happens with, oh, well, which LUT did you use to view this? Or do we have that creative show LUT on, on, the, uh, on the data? Or uh, you know, what file format is this in? For some reason, uh, Nuke's not reading these DPX files. It's all because of a lack of standards. And because of a lack, of, the lack of standards ends up costing 
a lot of time and effort that is unnecessary and, and it really, ultimately, the creative vision suffers. Um, we, when we built this system, we also wanted to enable the ability to deal with high dynamic range and wide color gamut. Um, it, it was something we knew was coming. We, we foresaw this and we wanted to make sure that the system had the ability to do these things right out of the box. So ASIS really was built on a platform of high dynamic range and, and wide color gamut right from the get-go. But ultimately, really, all of this is about the archive. Um, I mean, the Academy doesn't make movies. We, don't, we, we, we hand out awards for movies, but we don't make the movies themselves. Um, but we do have a very, very large film archive. Um, and we were dealing with these archival problems as soon as anybody else was. Um, DCPs being sent to the, to the archive with encryption keys on them that you, nobody can open, that, that, that's not very helpful. Or um, I, you name it, it's, it's shown up. I mean, th there's been all sorts of wacky things that have come into the archive. And again, in, back in the day, it was easy. They sent the negative over or they sent a print over and we put, the print, we put them in a cold room on a shelf and they sat there. And we we're reasonably guaranteed that you know, 100 years from now, we could take that print and play it back in a projector and see what it was that the intend director intended us to see. Or we could take that negative and make another print and get a nice clean, a nice clean answer print again and, and take a look at it. Um, but nowadays, I, nowadays, there are movies that have been effectively lost in the archive from the early days of digital because we don't know what they are. Um, sometimes it's the media, sometimes it's, sometimes even if we can get the ones and zeros off the media, we still don't know what that data means in terms of a representation of a color on the screen. So it, it's, um, it's unfortunate and it's really why the Academy, I think, got involved in this right from the very beginning was because they care deeply about preserving uh, motion pictures that are made. Uh, but what is, what is ACES? I mean, it, it's like, this, this is a question I get all the time. It's like, well, what is it? And it, it's not something you download. You don't go to the Academy's website and download the double-clickable installer and, and put it on your Mac. It's, um, it's not that. Um, it, it, there is a software component to it, um, but really ASIS is a series of international standards, best practices, um, color transforms, as well as file formats. And, and really the last two are kind of really important here a common vocabulary and a philosophy around how, how you're dealing with your data. Um, before ACES existed, people were referring to the same sorts of data in multiple ways. And they were referring to the same kinds of transforms in multiple ways. And it just, it led to a lot of confusion. This brings sort of a common language set, at, at the very least a common language set to everybody to be able to discuss where they are in the pipeline and what it is they ultimately want to get out the other side. Um, this is just, I'll come back to this diagram, but I just wanted to kind of give you an idea here of, of sort of the, uh, I'll call this the basic diagram. It's not the basic diagram. We have an even more basic one, but this one to me has kind of all the main pieces and and it really speaks to this philosophy of, again, everything coming in to the center point ACES so that ultimately we can know what it is we have and then 
send it out to any particular deliverable we want. Um, if you were to be a manufacturer of a piece of equipment for the motion picture industry, you, you go and get some of these components. Um, and the, these are, some of them are international standards, some of them are, are, are um, programming um, fragments that, 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 we, that we hand out. And uh, there, there's, there's these things we call encodings, which is what does the data look like in the file? What does it represent? They're transforms that tell us how to actually process that data. And then we've got containers. Containers really are kind of file formats. Uh, we get um, th this thing called the ACES container, which is effectively a standardized version of OpenEXR. Um, an OpenEXR reader will read it, and you can write them out using OpenEXR writers, but it's a standardized version um, called, called an ACES container. Um, and we've got metadata, uh, core pieces of metadata which are, are critical to allowing us to ultimately take a look at the picture that, that we've got in these containers. Um, and then there's all sorts of other information, ancillary information, um, technical specifications, recommended procedures associated with how you might do a particular thing in, uh, in, in a motion picture production pipeline. Um, and these components together are what make ACEs. Um, so again, it's not something you, you, you install on your Mac and go, I've got ACES now. It, you've got to be sort of working in, in, a, in a particular manner with a particular um, uh, uh, philosophy, using all of the components together to, be, to, to, to say you're really working in ACES. Um, now, these components, depending on where you are in the production workflow, uh, kind of live in different places. Um, I'll talk about some of the specifics. Oops. I think I just hit the wrong button, there we go. Uh, ACES CC, uh, ACES CLIP, CLF, IDTs, uh, we'll, we'll get into what all this jargon means, but th these sorts of things live you know, in dailies and in color correction, um, where um, something like an output transform lives in mastering. And, well actually it lives in, it lives in color correction too, but we'll get back to that. But there are certain pieces that, that exist in, and, and are relevant to certain portions of the, the production workflow. Um, some of these encodings that we got, here's some of the specifics. And the, the real important thing here is the use cases. Um, ASIS 2065-1, that, that's what I call, that I'll refer to as an ASIS file. That's kind of the original ASIS file. Um, it, it's 16 by half float, lives in this ACES container, which is a, effectively an OpenEXR file, but it's a standardized OpenEXR file with uh, limited, um, uh, limited options um, so that we don't have to, to uh, wade through tons and tons of alpha channels or, or things like that. Um, we've got something called ACES CC, which lives in the color corrector, and this would all happen under the hood, but um, you would take your ACES file in and it would convert into ACES CC for the color corrector to, uh, to basically do its operations correctly on the ACES data. And we don't store that in a file format because that would be bad because if, if people start passing that stuff around as opposed to the, the actual ACES data, then there's mass confusion again and, and that kind of defeats the purpose. Um, ACES proxy is actually a 10 or 12 bit signal that we could send down HDSDI, uh, comes out of a monitor outport. Um, on, a, on a camera, um, whether it's uh, 
uh, Sony F65 or uh, an Alexa or um, something like that. And what you do with that data is you'd put that into a monitor, which is also compatible with ASUS, and it would apply transforms so that you could see on set exactly what, you would, what you're going to get in DI. Um, sounds simple in some regard, but it's also something that's tripped us up as an industry for a very long time. Uh, ACCG uh, is for VFX. Um, it, it's, it, this does live in a, a true OpenEXR file. Um, doesn't have to uh, be limited in any sort of way uh, because well, VFX is going to do the things that VFX do, does and they, they need all that capability. And um, it's also uh, uh, massaged in a way that, that, that works well with um, VFX sorts of uh, mathematics and calculations. So um, it's a, just a, a version of ASIS that works well in the VFX pipelines. And then ADX is for film. So that's uh, when we do film scans, um, we'll, we'll scan film, it'll come into ADX and then we'll convert that to ASIS using one of our core transforms. Um, linear versus log, um, people talk about this a lot. Um, what we've got is basically two linear um, encodings, which is ASUS 2065-1. Um, that's uh, uh, sort of the, the main ASUS encoding, and it is linear. Uh, ASUS CG is also linear for VFX. Um, ASUS CC, ASUS Proxy, and ADX, they're, they're all various sort of log encodings. ADX, obviously, because it's a, a density file. So um, because it's density, it's by its nature log. Um, ASUS CC and ASUS Proxy uh, are actually kind of they, they work in tandem because what we can do is we can preview the ASUS proxy data on set, apply a grade on set using something like ASC CDL, translate that ASC CDL over to DI where the data will be, in, will be turned into ASUS CC within the color corrector on the fly, apply that ASC CDL and you'll get exactly what was you saw on, on, on set. Again, shouldn't be magic, but for some reason, we've not been able to do it very well as an industry. Um, in terms of the transforms, there's sort of a few keys here, right? Uh, we've got these things called input transforms, and what they do is they take ASIS data, or excuse me, camera data, and turn it into ASIS. And so we can take cameras uh, from pretty much any vendor um, and using their, their ASIS transform, their IDT, we convert that data into ASIS. And at that point, we're not dealing with apples and oranges. We're dealing with, with, with apples to apples. Um, the, the reason your camera um, was chosen was because it looked a particular way, and we maintain that, that, that difference. But what we're not fighting is just sort of gross differences between files associated with um, encoding differences. So it, it allows every, all, the, all the data to come together, be viewed on the same timeline, and look, well, reasonably similar. Um, output transforms take our ASIS data and turn it into a deliverable. So uh, we have output transforms for P3, we have output transforms for um, going to a DCDM, um, REC 2020, REC 709, uh, so on and so forth. We also have HDR um, output transforms. So again, this ASIS data is high dynamic range, and what we're able to do then is take that ASIS data and basically translate it in a way that makes sense for the particular monitor that we're looking at at that moment. 
So if we're looking at a Rec. 709 monitor, we're going to do something to it. If we're looking at an HDR monitor, we're going to do something else. And we can translate that data and, um, and get, um, get a deliverable that makes sense for that display. Um, the really important point here, though, is that the ASIS data itself uh, has not been limited in any way. So that way, if today I'm going to a Rec. 709 monitor and tomorrow I want to go to an HDR monitor, I've not taken my ASIS data and um, indiscriminately limited it to the capability of the display that I have at my disposal at that particular moment. Uh, we do support multiple looks, um, and um, there's color space conversion transforms, which are more utility in here as well. Um, and so now that we got some of the core concepts down, uh, back to this diagram. Uh, if you look along the top, this really is film DI, right? So you, you, you basically bring in a negative um, with a scanner. You would uh, get some file, which uh, we call an ADX file. Um, this is very similar to what, how Cineon was done. Scan the files and they go into to some sort of container here. Um, we <clears throat> if we wanted to write that back out to film, we'd go to a, a film recorder and then uh, write out a new negative, make a print, and uh, well, that's the DI process, right? Uh, modifications happen here. Um, what we're doing with ASIS is, with film, we're taking these ADX and we're translating it to ASIS so that once we're in ASIS, we can start combining other media, whether it's digital camera footage. Uh, VFX isn't specifically called out here, but it would also be just sort of another spoke on this wheel and go in here. Um, but Ultimately, what we're doing is we're bringing all our footage, regardless of where it came from, into this common container, into this common encoding. And everybody knows what to do with it at that point. Everybody knows how to view it because there's only one way to view ACES files. You go out through our RRT and one of the appropriate ODTs for your particular display. So you might be on set and you might be looking at a video monitor, so this ODT changes. And you're, and, and you're on a video monitor, and then you go into DI, and you change it to this one, and you look at it on a, refer on a, a P3 projector. So uh, let's see here. Um, a little bit more of the same stuff. This is basically a zoom in of this portion of the diagram here. So again, um, we might have, uh, there's this thing called a, a reference image capture device. It's a device that produces ACES data, a theoretical device that produces ACES data directly and doesn't need a transform. But the key here is that the center of the system is, is the ACES color encoding. And once you have ACES data, you know what to do with it. Um, if you don't have the RACD, the, the reference input capture device, you have to use these things called IDTs, which take the data from your, your particular digital camera and convert it into ACES. And then likewise, on the other side, you would have the RRT and ODT to be able to preview that data on any particular display that you've got in, uh, at your disposal. So, um, oh, and here are looks. Our looks are supported by converting ACES data to ACES data. Um, we basically modify the ACES data to apply a look and the look isn't embedded into the, the viewing LUT. It's, it's as its own independent look, which then can be either applied to the data directly or, um, uh, and baked in or, or uh, just be used as sort of a preview uh, stage.
Um, let's see, where do I want to go with this? So in, in VFX, um, uh, you're going to be bringing in lots of things. You're going to be bringing in uh, uh, camera data and generating synthetic imagery. Um, that's what VFX does, and, and uh, this is all going to happen in this ACES CG space. Um, in addition, you can start doing compositing and lighting, um, apply ASC CDLs, generate editorial files, whether for QuickTime, um, and you may be doing this, or, post, or uh, uh, DI may be doing this, but uh, generate the, the files for editorial, as well as generate new ACES files to send back to, to, to post. Um, and you're going to be looking at it, obviously, on your, on your projector or your, um, your desktop monitor, depending on what you have at your, uh, at your facility. So talked a little bit about onset. This is the diagram that goes with it. Onset, we'd be taking a look at ACES proxy data by passing ACES proxy out of the camera, uh, generating an ASC CDL or some other type of look transform on set while previewing the data using an output transform. And then the ASC CDL or, or the other, or the look itself, if it's more complex, um, but we generally like things like ASC CDLs because they're relatively simple, um, go into a standardized metadata container that we call the ACES clip container or the CLF. Um, ACES clip is just a CLF with some specific, um, uh, specific tags in it. And then what we do is we generate the camera native file, or grab the camera native files generated from, from the production, and in dailies or in post, we'll convert those to ACES-CC, take this data here and apply it, and ultimately we'll get the same thing, whether on set or in DI as, as the look. Um, there's our... DI. Um, in DI, uh, again, what we're doing is we're bringing in these, these camera native files. We're converting them to ACES CC, uh, applying any sort of looks that we might have gotten from on set. Uh, VFX is going to come in as well. Um, the plates have been, been sent out and we're going to get the stuff back. Um, and we're going to be doing the grade on a digital cinema projector. Now, ultimately, we're going to have to make the Blu-ray too. So, Rather than sort of redo the whole process over again, which actually happens way too often nowadays, um, what we're going to do is we're going to change the output transform and take the, the same data that we, that we did the original grade on and look at it through that, that alternate output transform using um, uh, an HD broadcast monitor. And what we hear from people is most of the time that actually works pretty darn well in terms of getting us 99% of the way there. Um, and at that point, we just need to trim the data to make it look good on, on the alternate display. Um, we can also do this with HDR. So if we, again, have this data and pass it through the HDR output transforms and view it on an HDR display, we get um, some pretty good HDR right out of the box. Um, Grading obviously is going to be needed, especially if it's been uh, graded for a lower dynamic range display first, and 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 ultimately um, we want to go back to an HDR display. But the key is we haven't limited the ACES data here, represented by the ACES CC box, 
in a way that is destructive to that high dynamic range source material. Um, and then most importantly, what we're going to do is we're going to take that ACES data. Oh, I hit the wrong button again. Sorry about that. Um, take this, this ACES data, again represented here as ACES CC, convert it to, to that ACES 2065-1 and send it off to the archive. So what ACES 2065-1 really represents in the archive is kind of the equivalent of sort of a timed, cut, color corrected negative as opposed to camera raw files or a DCP or something like that. Um, the, the, the latter, I mean, are very good archival media. Uh, DCPs are only designed to be seen on a digital cinema projector, dynamic range of about 2,000 to 1. Maybe, if you're lucky, 4,000, 5,000 to 1. But um, it's really designed for, the, for that sort of limited color gamut and, and uh, dynamic range. Not a very good archival media. Um, likewise, the um, camera raw files they're not your movie. They don't, have, they don't have color correction in them. They don't have visual effects in them. They're just, they're just an element that ultimately is going to be in your movie. But really what you want is something that represents your movie to go into the archive in the highest fidelity possible. And that's what ACES, that's what ACES in the archive represents. Um, in terms of actually using this stuff, we, we've started with what we call a logo partner program. Um, the, we're going to have this, this logo here uh, end up on, uh, well, not the box, but, but on, on manufacturers' websites. And what it means is that they've been qualified as having a correct ACES implementation. Um, we're not a certification lab in the sense that we're not testing every single one of these products, but what we've done is we've told manufacturers, in order to get this logo, you've got to do a bunch of things. And we ask them to go off and do those things and then send us some documentation that's, that shows that they've done those things appropriately. Because we don't want manufacturers mistakenly you know, saying that they've got ACES implemented and um, actually you know, it's broken. So um, these are the manufacturers who have signed up for the ACES product partner uh, program already. Um, and we'll be coming out with ACES uh, uh, products. Um, and if uh, there's anybody on there that's missing, you should definitely call your vendor and, and bug them a little bit, say you should be part of the ACES partner program because I want to use ACES. Um, but um, I, we got some biggies here. So um, they're, they're, I mean, for the most part, I think we've got just about everybody um, you could think of with a couple of exceptions that hopefully we'll be joining the list shortly. So that's about it. Yeah, uh, that's actually a great point. So I, th this stuff may be daunting, and um, I, I completely understand that. This is, you won't see this as a creative. This is stuff that's built into the system and built into the products, and it, 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 will, it will hopefully be completely invisible to you, other than to say, you know, in my base light, I'm going to choose. I'm going to. I'm going to turn on the ACES mode, 
and I'm going to choose or specify, not choose, but specify which output device I have connected to that base light at that particular moment. The rest of this stuff is all, should all happen under the, under the hood. Um, it, it should be pretty simple and, uh, and, and hopefully um, as invisible as possible. Yep. When you transform to ACCC, you're actually baking in a CDL and making it linear. So we actually lose all that nice log curve. No, 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 no. Um, it's actually kind of the opposite way. Um, so what we're doing is we're taking camera files, we're bringing them into ACES. They get converted on the fly to a log format so that the color corrector works well, but in a way that's completely non-destructive and we can go right back to the, to the linear ACES file if necessary. Well, it, not if necessary, but we will. Um, we then apply the ASC CDL to that data, but usually in a non-destructive way. It's usually just applied as a layer on top. And then if we want to bake in the color correction in the end, in order to put it in the archive, we can do that. So um, what we usually do with the, with the VFX and, and the pulls is um, right off the bat, what will happen is the colorist will do kind of usually do just sort of like a basic grade, like a, and, and just to kind of level the things, right, and, and get, and that's not how it works for you? Not, not in my experience. The folks that I've worked at. Okay. Um, uh, it happens very rarely. Yeah. All right. That's, that's interesting because um, uh, we've, we've worked with a lot of movies on this stuff, um, uh, and we've actually had, um, this was sort of how they laid it out to us, was they went in and they did, they did uh, a basic grade right up front just to level the, the data. Um, uh, this was how Chappie was made, for example. And then what they did was they sent that over to VFX. VFX had, 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 the, pipe, had the ACES pipeline implemented. They were able to um, uh, preview uh, what it is, what it was, they'd see in DI uh, by by applying the appropriate viewing transforms, do the VFX, send them back, and when they sent them back, the the DI was that much easier because basically everything was already leveled. So um, most of the time, there's not the budget to do that. Yeah, so I, I can imagine that. Well, that's sort of a problem outside of us, but it's uh, it, it, whether you whether you do the leveling ahead of time or not. I mean, it, it, you're going to run into the same issue. It's just more work in in DI or or less work in DI to to take care of everything, even everything out. Could VFX use the same files that the colors are using them, and then they would just look at the same transform? Yeah, that's exactly what they do. Yeah, uh, so it, it, that's effectively what, what, what we do. Is it, we're, look, we're viewing it in VFX with the same transforms that we view it uh, within DI. Uh, this is common already. It's just here we're using, um, uh, we're using standardized transforms, and we're able to use a transform that's appropriate for what the VFX uh, artist has on their desktop and a 
transform for what the colorist has in DI and be able to get a, you know, a reasonable approximation on those particular monitors. Um, so you know, if you're in VFX, you're, you're going to have a, a desktop you know, uh, LCD in front of you. If, uh, well, that's the thing is, you don't want, we can do the color science in a way that, that sort of doesn't have to make it kind of black magic to make those things um, uh, match. Um, we'll get very reasonable um, uh, matches just by changing the output device transform. I think we're going to move on to the second part of our program now, sure. which will actually bring some case studies, and we can continue this. I really want to continue this discussion, but we've got a lot of uh, people who can give us some actual case studies on how uh, they're working, and um, so I'd like to uh, ask our uh, stage elves to help us with the chairs. Uh, can I thank Alex, first of all, for uh, the first half of the presentation? Please give us a second while we set up the chairs. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Uh, moving to the second part of our uh, evening now. So I'd like to bring to the stage all of our speakers. Um, Jeffrey Hagerman is a digital image technician and uh, onset colorist. Everyone give Jeffrey a big hand. Uh, Joe Byrne is the CTO of Technicolor Postworks in New York. Fergus McCall and Harry Scopus are from The Mill, the Head of Colour and the Director of Technology, respectively. And Chris Healer is the President, CTO and CEO of The Molecule. So we've selected um, a kind of wide range of people to kind of discuss briefly their uh, experience, their ideas, um, about this color system. There's no one place that has a full implementation, certainly not in New York. And so we, I uh, wanted to get together these people on the panel with Alex to kind of have a more general discussion, to continue the discussion that started here about how things actually work, the practical uses of them, um, how uh, all of these things get put together. So I'd like to start with Jeffrey, actually, who's uh, a digital image technician and onset colorist. Jeffrey, do you have a microphone? Yeah. Certainly. <laughs> um, Jeffrey, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your day today at the moment? Uh, you, I mean, you were working today. What were you working on? Um, today I was working on a feature film called Wiener Dog. It's uh, Todd Salon's project, uh, Airy Raw, doing some color on set, that kind of stuff. But I t traditionally balance my time between on-set color in the feature world and then on-set color with uh, setting looks and making wonderful TV shows that New York's become so popular for. So that um, job, just traditionally, if you were doing a, an Alexa, Raw, or ProRes, what, what is that routine usually uh, um, outside of a, outside you, the You'd get a, a log C or a, a raw image in. You'd, you'd apply a, a LUT to that. That would be your D log. Then on top of that, you would paint an ASE CDL. Then you'd save uh, scene and take based stills from that with, with and without your look applied. And then also, if there was another additional level, it would be reference stills of the scopes as well, with and without the look you're doing. So you're giving a, the numbers representation and a visual representation of what you see on the scope. So if there's any problems, they can check their scopes and see. They can match. check that immediately. And then the CDLs that correspond with the looks are based on you know, scene information that we have. So it all carries over for the most part. So in the, um, you recently did a project that had um, ACES as, as its centerpiece in your work. So 
How did you set that up? Like, how did that happen? The DP came to you, an agency came to you. How did that? What was the start of that? Um, it was it started as a broader discussion about uh, workflow, and we were going to do some Phantom stuff in there, and then we were going to do additionally some Alexa stuff. And uh, the commercials were for Cadillac, and the DP was Janusz Kaminski, and one of the components of that was going to be finishing in Baselight in London with the mill, and. Uh, Janusz basically said, don't fuck me. So uh, he was pretty direct in what he wanted to see right. and what he wanted to have happen. And then uh, I really frantically started researching what And what components... was he worried about? The multiple formats? All of the different formats? Um, just all the different formats. And with the, uh, the turnaround, they only had like a day or so for the DI. So he right. wanted to make sure that the time that he was spending on set would be time that we could create something that when he was finally in post at the DI stage would, would matter, wouldn't get thrown away. He wouldn't be starting from zero when he came in. So how did you go about, what changed for your setup? Say camera prep, what changed? Well, in the prep, I was able to get a demo version of a Palmfort product called LiveGrade version three. I got uh, some research and found an IDT. And uh, the IDT was for the specific camera that we so were using. So that's an invoice, in, input device transform. An so input yeah. device transform that corresponded with the Alexa at IS, ASA uh, 800. So it was very specific. We, we had that profiled. I had my monitor profiled. And uh, that was pretty simple. Were you, did you have an IDT for the Phantom as well? No. Well, that's its not, own unit. That was, that was its own thing. Yeah, right. But on top of that was uh, ASC CDL. So I was initially confused by the amount of complexity that I saw from the diagrams that I'd read about with OpenEXR. But on set, it was a very traditional or something that I was familiar with, with uh, CDLs on top of a log C image. And you're using the video controls, basically, lift gamma gain? Lift gamma gain all the way through. I was not doing anything on set in a linearized space. Yeah. And so then. Um did anything change for Yanis in terms of what he was seeing monitoring? Does he have different I scopes? I mean, as, as uh, far as that went, I brought him up to speed with the concept of where 18% gray was in a linearized space, and it's a pretty easy number. It's 0.18. So once, once he was able to see that and know that what we saw on set was an approximation to the effect that OpenEXR has 30 stops, a dynamic range, so something that we saw in the highlights, he could then say... Later on, that's going to be much brighter. There was some, some outputs that were made for HDR and outputs that were made for, for standard 709. Oh, so it was an HDR project? Experimentally. Right. It, it wasn't finished there, but being able to tell him you that have the toy. You, have, you have that room to go beyond what we're seeing in the tent really was something that he was excited about. But correct me if I'm wrong, but 30 stops of latitude would be greater than the monitor that you're looking on so that's correct how how does that appear how do you how do you how can you see those can you see those you you can't stops? see it in in the space that i'm in on set but you, with with the reference of the scope you know that that approximate right. value is something that could be exceeded in an hdr environment and would be so much brighter and you can still see there's no clipping or crushing on exactly. your scope, even exactly. though the monitor can't right okay that's nice and so then how did you were you making Dailies and things for editorial? I was making dailies in Resolve, and uh, that was a demo version of Resolve at the time. 11 hadn't come out, but I had 11, and we were able to just generate some ProRes files. Editorial was able to start cutting right away. And maybe three weeks later, I got a call from Patal in London, and uh, Janusz was there and was happy to see that 
the values that, that they'd worked with were as a metadata that could easily be really clicked on and off in Baselight. So he could see the approximations from the dailies that he saw that day on his iPad weeks later in London matching up to something that he felt was an accurate representation on a totally another system. And so then he could use the, um, the device transforms going out on the monitor on set and then for a projector back in the mill. And exactly, and they could, he, he clicked it on and it was a place to start from. It wasn't something that was baked in in any sense. That, that metadata carried the CDL values within it. Yeah, great. I might actually throw over to the people we've got at the mill now. Um, Fergus and Harry, um, I know that uh, the, the mill, I mean, it's a huge place. There's how many sites have they got now? You've got Chicago, London, um, we've got four. Four sites? Four? Yeah, four. Yep. I think four. it's about 800 people yeah. globally. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big company. And what is your, what is your experience of this, uh, this work and this philosophy? Um, I've got to put my hand up right now and say um, we haven't really done a project, although I'm hearing about this one here. <laughs> uh, we, personally, I haven't been involved in, an, uh, strictly speaking, an ASIS project. However, we are, are very interested in the, uh, the what we see as the quality shift that, um, it, that the template that is ASIS will offer us uh, moving forward. Because so the, the jobs that you're doing are broadcast uh, commercials and television largely through your <laughs> colour department? Yeah, no, no, there's other stuff as well. I mean, um, I mean a broad everything. spectrum of different platforms and... But I suppose essentially the core business has been, for many years, uh, what we used to call commercials, but and, and still do call commercials. But there are lots of other names. For them and now. for a number of years, that's just been straight Rec Seven Hundred Nine, right the way through. Uh, absolutely, yes. And we are actually we are recently starting the change of of moving to Half Point EXR, and. Uh, so that we can come into line with what they've been doing in CG for many years. And one of the big things that's allowed us to do this is that the Autodesk Discrete, which um, is the flame, which is one of you know, our main, still in advertising, it's, it's the place where people sit around and, and really do a lot of the uh, important work. And lately it's, it's offered the, the, the chance to, to work in flow and to make it all viable. So this is the sort of jumping off point where we're, we can take one of those. It's a watershed where we can now move forward and, and just do our work better and more efficiently. Yeah, moving away from um, the, you know, there's two different workflows or multiple workflows. But, you know, when you get into the film pipeline and you have a uh, very long format and uh, time period to do something, um, there's a number of ways that uh, you can incorporate uh, the workflow. Uh, so, you know, when you want to work in a, say, a linear or log or whatever it is, uh, you have a lot more time to kind of finesse it and uh, allow your data to move around. Uh, as Ferg was mentioning, you know, in, in the commercial world, and I'm sure a lot of people here uh, work uh, in the commercial world, primarily it's a, it's a lot faster turnaround uh, you typically do have people in a room that are uh, breathing down your neck, uh, clients. Uh, they want to see immediate results and changes. And, you know, to go to a lot of the desktop uh, software that was out there, just, uh, it's great if you take Nuke, 
uh, does a lot of fantastic things, but uh, you know the interactivity of it uh, and uh, the on-screen results that you are getting uh, were a little lackluster. Um, you could achieve the same thing, but to have that level of interactivity that uh, a flame would give you, or you know, going back many years, if it was a Harry or a Henry or whatever, that you know you tweaked a bunch of stuff and stuff changed, and everybody was happy, like you were working. So to incorporate that kind of workflow or uh, the ACES philosophy to something like that, a lot, lot of the hardware and software just uh, hadn't caught up to the point where uh, you could work in that um, kind of data set efficiently. Uh, so you know, when here in the world where we're trying to crank things out and uh, you know keep the doors open and and keep the projects coming in and out, um, you know, it wasn't possible to. Uh, work in that kind of data-intensive way. So, you know, now workstations are faster, software has aligned, uh, it can work with the different file formats. Um, you know, you can apply things in a much more expedient manner. And, um, you know, we are looking at different ways. We have different parts that, you know, the 3D folks, the 3D department, you know, they'll, they'll work in linear because it makes sense. You know, they, they want to see stuff nice and smooth. Uh, but we couldn't work that way. And you know, when you bring a client in a room and they see something uh, that doesn't look real or doesn't look graded, like you were saying that you know, they want to see a graded product and then move on because that's the fast and furious commercial world, uh, it's a little hard to explain that to them. So in order to keep things moving, you work in the f familiar format of Rec. 709, which is uh, mostly what people uh, at home see, or used to see, um, and uh, it was a fast and efficient way. But now, uh, we are uh, toying around with the idea and have implemented uh, working in a philosophy like ACES, where we do uh, take the raw data, uh, it'll come into uh, the film chain, uh, Ferg and the likes of him will, will do what they have to, and then they will hand off a, a linear EXR file to the other folks to work where you, know, you can still preserve the data um, and um, apply your different transforms in order for it to appear proper on a screen or down the line. But you know, as you go down the line, you do have that kind of mezzanine format. And you know, it could turn into ACEs, it could turn into whatever. But we've finally gotten to the point where hardware, software, um, workflows are starting to be able to work with it a little bit more efficiently, and we're starting to uh, go down that road. Have there been you any? Put that very well. Can I second I, that? Can I ask Alex for a second? Have there been any um, applications that you know of, of uh, the commercials world uh, really embracing um, uh, Aces? I, I don't know right off the top of my head, um, but um, there I'm always surprised because, to be honest with you, I mean, it's an open source system. You, you don't have to tell us you're using it. So uh, we find out the features have used it, and we never knew. Um, so I, I'm not surprised that I don't know uh, specifically of commercials using it, but I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they you're are. You're using a base light, so, I mean, that, that has been open for... Um, Floating point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm ashamed to say I, I only really heard about ACE about three years ago, uh, at which point we were doing some testing on uh, various things. And we tried, we did, we didn't try, we did. We set everything into its ACES settings, and it 
back then, and I think it's probably changed a bit by now, it was a little bit, it was like you, were, you had this enormous color space with all these different formats and you were ramming something through a narrow aperture. And the whole ballistics and the way that the bass light performed were very odd. Now, I, I think that's smoothed over now and is, it works much more efficiently, but for us, to, the colorists have become very familiar with the, the log C way that a cursor, a scene presents itself. So what we've elected to do is use the metadata that, that all the cameras have in, and, and then put it in a, in a, log, a wide gamut log space and, and use it like that uh, and output whatever file format. We're just beginning to use half point, but a lot of it's still 10-bit log, but that's kind of how we're using it at the moment. And you're using um, half float for your other visual effects um, when you have to pass things over to visual uh, effects? Live right? action, we are just beginning that transition to yeah. doing it because, it, as I was saying earlier, it, it does seem to be at, at this point where... Because what people do with log is they linearize it. In CG, they immediately take it, they linearize it, they, they, the numbers all start making sense, and then they put it back to log, and you have this kind of workflow where things have been converted the whole time. So if you can, why wouldn't you keep the whole thing in a 16-bit in a linear space? Because you have whatever it is, 64,000 gradients between black and white, and that's a lot better than, than log. Um, so the big step forward is, is EXR and its, its uh, ability to not be that much more of a heavy file, but contain that level of information. And that's uh, enormously advantageous, obviously. I'm going to bring Joe in. Joe, as the uh, CTO of uh, Postworks Technicolor, you've got, a, again, a, a large facility that's doing a lot of different work and delivering. I mean, we, we uh, know from... We went to dinner last night and poor Joe had to go back to work to uh, deal with an HDR project that's getting out. I mean, what does, what does this system um, mean to you in, in terms of your work at Postworks Technicolor? Um, well, a bunch of things. Te Tech and Color is the, the an international network has been dealing with ACES for a long time, and my colleague Josh Pines was part of the the uh, so the formation. Some he's one of those guys who was consulted in the first round of uh, of uh, analysis of the problem. And I remember going to a an early event that Josh and my uh, our colleague and friend of mine uh, Jim Houston were at. Then uh, and, uh, and I believe Alex was there too, and we saw what became ACES, uh, IAF ACES, and, and then ACES. And it, it seemed like that, would, that was nirvana. That would be the, the thing that would fix everything. And that was, it was very tempting to believe that. And in some ways, I think that it's taken now, this was probably almost 10 years ago, it's taken this much time for that to be realized. But in a certain way, if you look at those elaborate diagrams, and ACES in a way is kind of like an acronym generator. It seems like that's been one of its uh, functions from the beginning. So, but if you look at one of those enormous, those, you know, those beautiful diagrams, you kind of see the whole post industry. You know, you can kind of map everything that you do, like everything we do into that. And it was very interesting, very tantalizing. And this idea that you could exchange between multiple platforms, we have a kind of a promiscuous uh, relationship to platforms. We, here in New York, we, have, we support really everything. And so that I, I said, yeah, that's me. That's that guy who's like tearing his hair out and trying to get all these things to work. So it was it, it was something that was from a, a degree of an abstraction seemed very familiar and seemed great. The the inertia behind 
not going to something like ACES for the post industry, and this is something we talked about last night too, was is that we have solutions to all of those dotted lines between everything. We've developed things over the years, and everybody in this room has participated in the makeshift solutions and ad hoc kind of things that we do, or real world ways that we have of fitting all these boxes together and making all these things work and talk and get on the phone and yell at each other and blame, you know, point the finger and all that stuff. But the in a better world that we all know that we will all aspire to, <clears throat> all that stuff would go away. And you know the state would uh, go away too and we would all be very happy. But I think that it's, that there's a, there's a, there's a, a, we're just now getting to the point where it makes very little sense not to adopt this, this canon. And I think that that's um, becoming more and more obvious. And we've, you know, so like, for instance, a project you and I are working on together, um, that we were sure that was going to be an ACES show. And it, it's not. And there are reasons why it's not. And it makes sense. It, it, it didn't get started. The idea didn't quite start early enough in the genesis of the project. But that show would have made a lot of sense to, to do that. Um, and we have one that also came very, very close. We did a Spike Jones uh, feature that, that would have been a perfect ACES show, was 16-bit float. Um, made a, you know, in, we were interchanging with another, uh, another uh, DI facility and collaborating with them. They were in Sweden and we were here in New York. Would have made a lot of sense to do that one. And it just didn't quite work. And we've got one right on the, it's right on the bubble right now where it could go either way. And that's really typical. We've plugged into a lot of ACES things, but in New York, we've never done anything end to end. And I, th I think the time is right. Where is the impetus coming from, do you think? Uh, Alec, who, is, who does really drive this? Is it the DPs at the studio? Is it? Um, it, it varies. Um, in, in a lot of cases, um, the DPs will, will ask for this because um, they see advantages. Um, they like being able to light with their light, light meter and not having to look at log signals on a, on a, a DIT um, cart or, or in Video Village. Um, they, they like having some sense of, of what the image is going to look like in post and they really like being able to create ASC CDL values on set, set looks, and then have that be translated to DI and have some sense that it's actually going to work. Um, because it, more times than not, it, 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 with the legacy workflows, you, 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 they can set a look on set and pass it off to DI, and it, it just won't even work. So um, having that all hang together in, in a way that, that's, that feels traditional to them in some sense, but gives them the promise of, of what they've always um, uh, been told uh, they could get with with digital, um, I, I think is very tantalizing for for the D, uh, for the DPS. Um, the the studios love it because uh, it's protecting their assets. Um, they're they're getting something that ultimately goes into their archive that that's reusable, that's high fidelity, that has high dynamic range, and um, they know what it is. So for them, th there's a huge advantage, um, although they don't want to step on the creative's toes too much. Um, so they don't usually, in, at this point, say that's the way you have to do it. But um, they're, they're very happy when it comes to them uh, as an ACES show. Um, 
it, so it, it all depends. It's all over the map, um, and it, it's um, it, it just depends on the specifics of the show and and. Chris Healer from The Molecule, uh, you did our uh, two-part um, colour science uh, seminars last year a number of times. They toured around for quite a bit. What, is, what does this mean for you in terms of your thinking about colour science at The Molecule, the, uh, expanding uh, independent visual effects house? Well, it's interesting. I wrote the colour presentation, and I've given it quite a few times now, and, and within the context of ACES, I wrote it and said, here's how color should work and can work and might work, and this is how you want it to work. And then Ian said, and ACES is coming, by the way. But couldn't really get into it because it was, at least in my world, kind of unsubstantiated at that point as far as are the cameras going to support it? Are monitors going to support it? Are they? I, I don't think anyone out there is saying ACES is a bad idea. I think that the reality is, oh, well, it's just not implemented, right? If you don't have a, an IDT from your camera, then from step one, you're not an ACES, so therefore all the downstream steps fail. And if you're not viewing it with an ODT, then even if you could get to ACES, you wouldn't be able to see it properly. So uh, I don't think anyone out there is fighting against ACES. It's just little failure to implement points, which, um, which is sad because it's a really great idea. So the... Can I just ask, is, is that how it's turned into ACES 1.0? Uh, well, ACES 1.0 has definitely helped to eliminate exactly the issues that we're talking about um, here because... Um, and that's what the logo program is really, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. The logo program gets all of the, the manufacturers um, uh, into the tent and uh, understanding what it is they need to do to properly implement ACES and properly support their customers um, who are using ACES. And um, before we got to ACES version 1.0, we were in you know, pre-release versions of ACES for a very long time. And uh, we ran into exactly these problems um, uh, when we you know, tried to do um, uh, individual shows. And we, we worked around them. Um, it's not too hard to work around. Um, uh, well, especially if you've got you know, um, uh, the, the sorts of uh, 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 resources that, that, that some of these larger companies have. But, it's um, it, it's it's so much easier now with version one than than it was with the pre-release versions. So we, we've we, we've made a lot of strides in that regard. What do you think at your place? I mean, would you have? Do you think you'd have to go and train everybody again? Is that no, 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 no? Because our flow is more or less exactly in line already with the spirit of Aces. The numerical values may be slightly different. Uh, because of our, you know, we work primarily in Nuke, so we're using um, D-log curves that we create ourselves or, or the standard published ones for, you know, Alexa or Cineon. Um, and then one assumes that once you've made the leap from camera original or camera raw to linear space, and if it looks good and you're viewing it through the right transform, then what's happening inside is linear. And we just use the word linear, and that's kind of the colloquialism, but that word could be interchanged with the word ACES very easily because the idea is the, the invertibility of what comes in and goes back out or the, in fact, it, it's kind of flipped in the ACES sense of like, like our normal workflow is material comes in, 
there's some transformation that gets it into linear or linear enough space and is invertible back out to the exact same thing. So because our job is not to introduce color transformations in the workflow. So the invertibility is very important to us, which ACES provides. But in fact, ACES kind of transmutes that idea to the sense of like, rather than us going from raw to linear back to raw, it says, well, we know how to get to ACES, but now we're in ACES. So we can get to anything else you want, including where we started, if that's what you want. So it's, it's the same idea, but just turned one notch higher. And within that ACES kind of uh, kind of the arteries and veins of that workflow, we're, we're safe to do anything we want, and it matches exactly our, our, our current f workflow in virtually every way. So, I mean, the current feature job, um, Jeffrey and Chris may never meet. So, is there anything that Jeffrey can... Does Chris need to know what Jeffrey has done on set? Um, well, in today's world, he does, because yeah. if somebody is not coordinating all this, it, it becomes a mess real quick. Um, with ASUS, because everybody is using <laughs> these standards, um, there's less need for sort of um, uh, custom communication of what's happening on set and what's happening in post and what's happening in VFX. Uh, everybody just knows when I get the ASUS file, this is what I do to it, and this is how I view it, and uh, I got an ACES clip along with it that has the ASC CDLs embedded. I know how to apply that. It's, uh, standards go a long way to helping uh, ease the communication burden, uh, but um, today, everybody's got to be talking every step of the way, otherwise things fall apart very quickly. Uh, Jeffrey, what was your communication with the mill in London as you were going through? Was, was there backwards and forwards? Um, they were on it set, like tall. Oh, they were. Yeah, yeah. He was on set with us. That's that's the uh, colorist. No, no, he's the effects supervisor. Oh, right. Okay, sure. And were you in contact with the colorist at all? Not at all. Yeah, right. Okay. And it it seemed to go very smoothly. Yeah. I mean, the spot speaks for itself, I think, and Janusz was happy, so I'm about it. Joe, if you were setting up a job right now um, for Aces, what what are the steps that you would be? talking to the camera company, talking to the DIT, do you need to? Well, there's a bunch of things that we'd be doing. I mean, the, yeah, we would, and we are, um, talking specifically to, in one case, the camera company about uh, their latest thinking about where they plug into ACES. For instance, their, it's their IDT, but it's also some other thinking about, about the final, where the, where, their curves sort of fit into the final product creatively. And um, so we, have, we do a lot of thinking about that. And then the other thing is that we're also, look, the, the, these projects also, you know, the, these, these big platform jumps that we go through every generation or so, or uh, every 10 years at least in, in, the, in, the, in technology, usually are kind of overdetermined that like they you want there are a lot of reasons why everything's changing all at once and a bunch of stuff gets done all at the same time so like in the hd tr tr transition we also went to widescreen and we also went to digital for television and um for at this level i think we're you know we're going to a bigger better more extensible container format in the xr you know we're adopting it from the brilliant visual effects industry that have been so far ahead of us in so many things but they you know we're adopting that and and many of the 
the beauties of that format. We're also going to a real, you know, to a really uh, high dynamic range uh, container format. We're also going, getting a lot more color precision. We're getting kind of everything all at once. And so when we look at doing a project, we're, we're looking at all of the ways that we can take advantage of all of these different things all at the same time. And at the same time, fundamentally, all that somebody like Janusz wants to do is be able to say, if you project this at 16-foot Lampert's open gates, and you're, it's going to look exactly right. That's the only thing they care about, that Janusz cares about. And so with a prince, he could really tell that. That was really only one thing he had to know. The light meter represented what that gray card did for him on the set. And when he saw a properly made print, the only thing you had to know was the illumination. Everything else fell into place if you had done your job. But with electronic media, digital media, and all of the kinds of tools that we use, we might use 100 different software packages on a single project. Um, and all of us represent probably hundreds of different workflows. That, that all, all that stuff has to get, all that has to be accounted for. And the beauty of, of an abstracted system is that it, it eliminates the, the way in which all those little pieces break the, the, uh, the, the, break the common understanding. So would each manufacturer then be making, so would I go to Ari and get their input transforms and I would go to Barco and get the output transform, the latest update yeah. from them? Um, well, each company is responsible for maintaining almost their own firmware in, within the ASUS system. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, they, they, they all have to support ASUS um, in order to get the ASUS logo and their specific requirements that they have to meet. Um, in terms of your specific examples, yeah, you'd go to ARI and, and, and get the IDTs from them, um, and it might be embedded in their, their ARC software uh, so that you take in ARI raw and convert it to ASUS, um, and you just you just choose that as the option for output, and the stuff comes out as ASUS. Um, if you're using a base light, it's sort of embedded into the SDK. Um, uh, in terms of the output devices, uh, the Academy actually supplies uh, ODTs for uh, standard calibrations. So whether you're using a Barco or whether you're using an NEC or whether you're using a, a, a Christie. Oh, because they're running on a SMPTE standard. They're all running on a SMPTE standard. Gotcha, right. And they're calibrated to that SMPTE standard. So at that point, they're effectively the same device. And we provide the ODT for that, so that SMPTE standardized device. So ODT. Exactly. Rec 709. Is there a Rec 709 Plasma and a Rec 709 LCD? No, no. There's just Rec 709. It's right. Rec 709 to the Rec 709 specifications. Sure. So um, uh, it, actually, it's BT1886. But... Um, it's getting our standards yes. wars <laughs> but um, uh, yeah so um, on the output side we, we provide a bunch of ODTs um, you could certainly make ODTs for very specific devices if you wanted to um, but uh, uh, we think it's a better practice to calibrate your display to a standard rather than to try to chase individual displays um, uh, sort of the, the way you might with um, custom ODTs, but there's nothing that, could stop, that would stop you from doing it. It's technically feasible. I'm going to throw out to the audience now. I know Katie was very keen to ask some questions. Um, does anybody who would like to lead us off? Uh, yes, down the front here.
Now, actually, you, you haven't. So that, that's sort of the key point on ASIS is even though you're grading, looking at it on a Rec. 709 display, the way that the architecture is set up is that it, it, it keeps around all of that extra extended dynamic range and extended color gamut, even though you're not necessarily using it at that particular moment. So then when you put the ACES files into the archive and want to revisit them later on an HDR display, you have that stuff at your disposal. I mean, that's baked in, isn't it? Uh, there's it, no way you can recover. Yeah, and they're spatial operations, so, yeah. yeah. It's, um, that, that's clearly going to be in your data. OpenEXR offers a, potentially a way of dealing with that, which is that you can have multiple frames within a single uh, time frame. A, a frame that represents multiple states of the same the same moment in the in the film, and conceivably, and I, I honestly don't know anything about the way this might be implemented, but in conceptually, it would be very it would be very easy to do exactly what we we're talking about. Essentially, to have the VIM and and the sim, the CTM coincident with each other, and store them in the same place. I mean, fundamentally, what we're doing now that is with redundant files. So anybody, you know, somebody's really canny in thinking about the long-term value of the content is keeping many uh, states of creative development and keeping them together. The thing about ACES is that it, it, it gives you a well-defined way of understanding what the creative intention was and a way to back, back out of that if you need to or, or you want to. It definitely gives you a lot more options than you have doing it in any other traditional way. You know, if you have a basis, you know, you can go back, uh, you know, in 10 years, like you're saying, technology changes, whatever. You know, at least you have a more fundamental basis of, of where to begin and extract information that is there but maybe can't be used uh, at the given time. So, you know, we're striving for the same thing. You're going through a pipeline and you're passing it through various departments you know, you don't want it to come back to you and you're like, uh, it's like a dub tape, you know, analog tape where you're like, oh, let me make a copy of it, goes down one generation, gets a little grainy, loses a little bit of, uh, of brightness to it, go down another generation, so on and so forth, you know, because it went from, uh, you know, one department to the other. Uh, you know, we're striving for the same thing, getting our data, passing it around, and trying to keep some kind of a format that preserves uh, the um, the the information so when HDR displays are out, you can say, hey, you know what? I want to revisit this. Uh, I want to see what I can do. Let me push the, the, the specular highlights of it, low lights, whatever it is, and uh, at least I have a, a, a better basis than I did by uh, just baking it into something from the get-go. I think metaphorically, I mean, just as moving from analog to digital meant that for the first time the, the content the, the medium that you're storing it on doesn't affect the content. So that, you know, once you are reproducing a VHS tape, it is degrading. You're if you go from digibeta to digibeta, there's, I mean, there's a measure measurable de degrading, but it's virtually lossless. At the same time, from my understanding of this, 
is that it's one of the first times that the grading is, is kind of a separate operation from what you're viewing it on. So you could be, um, you could be grading in one device and then using an output transform for a different device and that grade would still land on the same colours. Yeah, um, and there, there certainly is a need to trim. Um, it's not all automatical um, in the sense that uh, the, these are two different displays, and you might uh, be able to get colors on one display that you can't get on another display, and how you know that color that, that can't be reproduced on the second display is, is mapped into the color gamut of the second display is a creative choice. So you can, you can manipulate that um, uh, through, through trimming operations. It's just that... Um, we start off in a place that, that, that feels very similar to where um, you were on your first device to, to minimize the amount of, of rework that's necessary. Can I actually ask oh. Alex a question? Yeah. Um, just something I'm just puzzling over because it, it seems to be that the, there's the, the capabilities of what, what ACES provides and then there's kind of the preferred usage of it, right? Which would be to say, uh, you, could, you could bake a color transform into, from one ACES file to another, or you could just save the transform as a separate file and apply it in the future to view it. And you could combine that transform with an ODT, I guess, but that would probably be unwise. Mm -hmm. But if you really needed to optimize it for trims at some display device or the director shot it on a red camera but really likes a K1S1 look, so you kind of extract a K1S1 somehow, even though you're totally crossing cameras and, and usages of things. So, so it seems like on the one hand, you can bake everything, but you just have a bunch of files, which goes kind of against the spirit of, of what ACES wants, right? Which is to say, we have kind of one golden thing that can go lots of places uniformly with just a simple transform at the end. Yeah, um, it, it, absolutely. I mean, there there's sort of things that we recommend as as best practices, um, and just because we've we've seen them work. Um, but um, there, there's many ways you can do this stuff within sort of the context of the ACES system, and um, you can uh, you could, for instance, capture all of this this grading information within the context of a, a of a. Uh, an LMT, which would exist in this the CLF LUT format, um, and and pass that along, or or you could bake it in. It's it's I'm not sure which one's better in in which particular cases, but it, it um it I mean you could do it either way. It, it's it's supported. Okay, I guess my my specific question because that seems to be the end goal in the archival purpose that it serves, but what, what affects us a lot are CDLs, for instance, mm -hmm. which are, um, I think the spirit of CDL was created as, as, a, as a paint tool and as a creative tool to say, hey, well, we don't, we're not doing it now, we're just looking at the effect of what we could do in the future when we get out of this shoot. But I think more and more it's like, well, we did it on set, it's done, but it's not oh, actually yeah. done. Right, yeah, so it's no. a shift in, in your kind of mental approach. If you actually have a workflow that will carry through to day one of DI, that's, or, or even, frankly, completely accurately get into dailies in the first place is not necessarily always a given. Um, but what I find interesting is that CDLs are 
not always creative. Like sometimes it's just an exposure correction or there's a big green light and we just don't want it to be green and we want to pretend that that light is some other color. So uh, there's a disparity between the camera original and the, the result of applying the CDL that makes it seem like the footage is, like it actually serves a more technical purpose than a creative one. So, so I'm curious about, and that's why I'm asking about like the preferred method of ACES, which is to say that we've linearized this properly or we've got it mm -hmm. into ACES space properly, but now we want to bake this in because we consider this new thing to be normal. So at that point, we're, you know, you get yeah, where I'm it, going, is that we're, we're departing from the original scene concept and we're baking a transform in and calling this new world the actual world, which is a fabricated one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it, <laughs> Kind of a, there was actually a lot of history in that conversation, very specifically, um, because um, it, I mean, ACES is supposed to represent your original scene. If, if you're talking about what the color imagery is, but it, it's the scene that you want, not the scene that necessarily sat in front of the camera. So if you want the whole world to be blue, um, uh, you can either light it with a blue light, or you can make it blue uh, in in the ACES data, um, uh, either through you know manipulation of, of uh, exposure values or, or um, you know, visual effects or something like that. But, but ultimately the idea is that that, that that ACES data is your, is the scene that you wanted it to be. So um, if you want everything to be overexposed, you can make that in and, and, and make new ACES data that is overexposed. Um, and uh, this, uh, it, I was talking about Chappie a little bit, right? Um, the way that they did it was, um, uh, they basically did sort of a pre-grade with the ASC CDL um, just to kind of normalize a lot of the, the footage uh, before sending it off to VFX um, so that, um, you know, the scenes that were slightly overexposed or slightly underexposed or, or, or slightly off color balance um, were coming back with the VFX, you know, matching those sort of misses in, in, in the original plates. Um, and that way, when they got back into, um, into DI, it just made it that much easier for them to go and do the DI because everything had sort of been pre-normalized and the VFX had been, you know, appropriately uh, created relative to those plates. We had a question up the back. Thank you. 
Mm -hmm. It's very much a philosophy of intent, I feel, for the director of photography, just as a decision to make use of a pro mist or use of uh, ND filters or use of polarization. This can represent his intent more clearly through the broadness and complexity of these modern pipelines where you can get in to a DI. And it's, it's not baked in. It's a click on and click off, but at least it's still there and it's a starting point for him as things become more and more condensed with less and less days given for that DI originally that he's coming in already at a place that he's familiar with. Yeah, using CDL for, for onset, I mean, this, this is why the DPs love it so much is because they're able to, to translate that, that vision that they had downstream so that hopefully when the editor gets the, the, the footage or, or the dailies guy gets the footage, they see what it was that he wanted them to see as, a, and again, it's a non-destructive thing because at that point it's not baked in, right? You turn it on, turn it off. But, but more often than not, using the legacy workflows, the, that information never gets to that part of the pipeline. And so there's no chance. <laughs> Plug for Technicolor there. <laughs> so, but it, I mean, there are people who know how to, who know how to do this stuff right. I mean, but it, the problem is it's, it's the rare exception, I guess. The, uh, you gotta have the, 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 the top-notch facilities and the top-notch people and, and everybody, you know, um, uh, working in perfect sync for, for things to work the way they're supposed to. And it shouldn't be as hard as it is um, today. I think uh, we've had about 90 minutes of color science and we should all go have a drink. Um, I'd like um, to thank Alex from the Academy. I'd like to thank all of our speakers. Um, if you don't have a yellow wristband yet, you will need one. We're going around to the Amesworth. Uh, there are maps outside. It's only a block away. Uh, we've got $1,500 behind the barter spend. So please come and have a drink with us and uh, you can fight it out with all of our panel uh, across the bar after a couple of drinks. Thank you very much for coming along. Um, my name is Ben Baker. This has been the Post Alliance uh, Education Committee, and I thank you for coming along. <laughs>